on TV, online, and on your smartphone. This is Chicken News. This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Yeah, yeah. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look. But stay stopping this bulls and talk their own books. Get the money. Get the money. Hi, I'm Chris Judd and this is Talk Your Book and today we're very lucky to be joined by Tom Lambeth from VP Capital, returning guest and, uh, and crowd favourite. Tom, thanks very much for coming back on the show. Thanks for inviting me, Chris. Now, a lot of pressure, Tom. You've had a couple of big wins on this show. I think the Reject Shop famously 7X post your appearance, Lion Town with a takeover offer a month post your appearance. Are you feeling sort of the heaviness of success when you, you walk back into the studio today? Let's see how we go on this one. It's, just, it's just certainly put the pressure on. <laughs> Not financial advice, of course, for anyone watching or listening. Um, down to business, what stock do you want to talk about today? Setire. So talk me through the, the helicopter view of, of what Setire CTT listed on the ASX do. This is very topical because it's, it's had a big run, um, as you'll see on the charts, but the, the business itself is a, a platform. So it, um, the platform allows consumers to buy luxury goods on, online. And your typical example would be a consumer wants, you know, Prada or Balenciaga. It's not your your Chanel's or your, your LV's. It's but it's you know, 400 other brands below that, and um, it allows you to you know to source a brand at a, a good price, um, probably better than your your Collins Street price, and it also allows for um, you know the breadth of sort of range and and different you know, SKUs that may not be available in Australia, uh, for instance, that you know may be available in the Italian market or. European market, so it offers um, the consumer two advantages. Um, you know, from a from a VP capital perspective, uh, we like the business because it, it doesn't carry inventory, um, so it's capital light, and it's it's profitable, which is you know rare for an e-commerce and tech company um, these days. And it obviously it's growing. You know, it's sort of close to triple digits per annum. And they had huge growth in the last quarter in particular. Talk us through the, the top line numbers that they announced recently. Yeah, sure. So there's probably two data points here. It's, it's um, the May announcement when, when they announced that um, you know, they, were, they were profitable and, and that April sales were circa 160% sort of year on year um, in terms of like, annualized run rate. Um, and, then, and then there's the, the second announcement, which sort of happened a few weeks ago, um, where, where FY23 um, sales were reported up uh, 90% uh, circa year on year, um, and the, the company announced they made uh, approximately $30 million of, of EBITDA. And, and so um, the cherry on, on top here is, is the July um, sales were, were disclosed to be 120% growth year on year, July 2023. So, so already FY24 is looking good. And, and I guess that's what, you know, one of the reasons why you know, the stock's done very well um, but it's but it's you know it's super volatile as well. So they've got a, an interesting comparable with Farfetch, which is an international competitor. Um, it'd be worth digging into comparing those two businesses, particularly around say uh, employees as a percentage mm. of revenue, which you know really compares favourably to CTT. What sort of metrics do you pick pick apart between Setire and, and Farfetch that that make you like what Setire are doing? Yeah, it's an interesting comparison. So Farfetch is certainly the market leader in this space. Um, they're much more mature. The business was started in 2007. They're listed in the States, is that right? Listed in the States. Um, it's headquartered in London, but, but listed in the States. Um, and, and again, um, you know, sort of founder-led. But the business was started in 2007 and, and Setire was started in 2017. So there's a bit of a timing difference. Um, 
I'll give you a stat which kind of resonates with, with us. It's, it's the revenue per employee, which mm. is um, just another way of, of expressing what you were saying. But you know, Setire generate $8 million per employee of sales. Uh, Farfetch generate $400,000 per employee of sales. So there's, a, there's an efficiency issue um, in Farfetch in, in our view. And I think um, you know, without sort of being in the business and knowing exactly, but, but based on our analysis, it's, it seems to us that um, you know, the, the tech in 2007 uh, was far less advanced than it was in 2017, and therefore the ability to use it to create efficiencies. And then sort of once you build the house on you know, shaky ground or shakier ground, I think it's a lot more difficult to change it, um, you know, change your, your you know, IT infrastructure, you know, your policies, your, your people. And, and therefore there's a tendency to, um, to I guess, um, become fat and lazy. And so that's certainly what we've seen with, with Farfetch. I think there's, um, you know, they, they lose money um, and they're, they're highly leveraged. And when you talk about the, the, the technology used by Setire, they speak about their algorithm. Do you see it having genuinely, uh, genuine intellectual property value that is hard to replicate elsewhere? And if so, how long do you think that can last before others catch on and, and build a better mousetrap? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I think we think this this tech thing is complete. It's overplayed. Like, there's an there's a ASX companies tend to, I guess, express um, the value in their tech has been you know there's, there's a high amount of IP, you know, difficult to replicate. I think in reality here, what's going on is um, there's a will to execute by you know by Dean Mintz and the management team to use the technology available. It's technologically enabled. Yeah. It's not. There's not like one or two lines of you know God code. It's not a competitive moat per se. I, I don't think I don't think the technology is a competitive moat in that particular sense. But what is a competitive moat is their their willingness um, and they're willing able to integrate that technology um, into their in, into the into the consumer experience. And so just to drill down on what that means, um, we think the information systems are really well integrated into their suppliers' information systems. Yeah, okay. So if I'm a consumer. I can get you know up to date um, inventory numbers, um, relevant price data uh, for that inventory, um, things that are very useful and accurate to enable my experience to be a positive one, and and um, that obviously drives efficiencies and you know and, and therefore um, you know to some extent a competitive moat. Now, sure, other people can do that. Um, the reality is, Setire have done it, and that's what counts, and and they're still growing at kind of triple digits. And getting back to Farfetch, they got absolutely smashed a couple of weeks ago when they reported their results. What was it that the market didn't like in them? I think it's a few things. Um, uh, firstly, to, to paint a picture on Farfetch, uh, they're highly leveraged. Um, this is a business which loses money. Um, as we've discussed earlier, you know, efficiency reasons and so on and so forth. They've also moved away from their core business and spent you know, $670 million buying um, brand businesses. And, and so that in context um they had some soft revenue numbers and, and guidance basically us growth in particular and chinese growth and the market just sold it off 40 percent, as you alluded to um i think the you know, the whole package is what the market didn't like it's all very well to um to you know to have um to have some debt and and be you know loss making with you know with a view to eventually making profit based on growth but as soon as your growth drops off that's that's what the market didn't like and we've mentioned, or you've mentioned, their Setire's growth uh, recently, which has been astronomical. But there's been a few red flags or things you've got to get comfortable with as well. Mm. From my perspective, director selling would be a big one of them, with the founder selling about $100 bucks worth post-results, and then two other directors selling since. How have you been able to manage that? 
and do you think there's any more sales uh, likely to come in, in the near term? It's hard to defend you know, objectively, but, but keep in mind um, from, from, from Dean's perspective, um, you know, he, he's allowed to sell. Um, everyone's got a different risk appetite. That's the other thing. I think it's heavily personality driven. Now, we've yeah. seen opposite situations where you know, founders haven't wanted to sell and sometimes they're buying and um, it's not always indicative of what happens to the share price or, or the business. And in Dean's case, he still retains 37% of the, of the, of the company, which is you know, $370 million of, of mark-to-market value, um, you know, superior than, than, than the money he's taken off the table. Um, you know, that said, I think it's, it's a small negative. The other two directors, uh, to be a bit tongue-in-cheek about it, they have, I think, a few million dollars of, of stock collectively. Um, you know, I'll, I'll cheekily suggest that you know that perhaps they weren't smart enough to get enough stock originally. So, so, so what, 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 what makes you think they're smart enough to be selling you know at the right price now? So, but in fairness though to them, I think you know directors have windows to sell, and this is one of them. Sounds good. We'll be back with more Talkie Book after this short break. On TV, online, and on your smartphone. This is Chicken News. This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Yeah, yeah. Fundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stopping this bull to talk their own book. Get the money. Get the money. This is Talk Your Book, and again, very lucky to be joined by Tom Lambeth from VP Capital. Tom, touching on a couple of perhaps challenges that Seto are facing, obviously there's been plenty of blue sky recently. Outside of director selling, when we look at their tech expense and the fact that they capitalise it, how do you sort of um, get comfortable with that? And what sort of percentage do you generally like to see these types of businesses capitalising in terms of their tech expense? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think you've got to look at, um, as an analyst, like the three statements. You've got to look at P&L, balance sheet, and cash flow. I think, to your point, um, you know, not all of the, the IT expenses going through the P&L. So I think last year they had $4 million, which was amortised. And I think in the cash flow statement, it says they actually spent 12, you know, so they've capitalised eight. Now, what's stock standard? Like, is 20% stock standard you capitalise? Like, does that seem high to you or not it, necessarily? It, it didn't necessarily seem high to us. Um, yeah. it, it obviously depends on what kind of, um, you know, individual items that you're, you're spending money on and, and what, you know, what kind of IT equipment. So the accountants will also sort of say, well, you can't just expense it all because, you know, the, the useful life is, is more than a year. So it's, it's, it's unfair. But I think um, it's a valid point because it goes to sort of earnings quality. I think if you're worried about that, you know, our view would be you, you wouldn't just sort of um, hinge the whole investment case on whether they're capitalising earnings um, too much or, or too little. Um, sorry, capitalising expenses too too much or too little. I think I think in this case, um, you know, it's a it's a small negative which goes to earnings quality. Um, it's something to watch in the medium term. It's not something to sort of get hung, hung up about if when they're you know printing thirty mil of EBITDA and growing one hundred percent. In the emerging market. Uh, revenue growth was super strong recently and has been. Do you think that's something that's going to continue in the near term? Possibly. I think the same question applies to emerging markets as it does to uh, established markets. And so, um, you know, emerging markets like, you know, some of the Latin markets that are um, rolling out in um, Spain's a big one for them, which is which is growing at triple digits. Um, the, the core markets such as the US, I think it's, it's growing more around that 70% mark year on year. Um, but, but but it's the same question, you know, it does sort of luxury goods, 
do consumers want a long-term buy, you know, luxury goods? It's kind of like the democratisation um, of this, this luxury goods sector. And it's a $400 billion market globally, including, you know, in-store purchases. Um, you know, a very small amount of that's online. Um, does, uh, Setai obviously has like less than 1% of, much less than 1% in terms of share. Um, so to me, it's sort of, it's quite asymmetric. Like there's room to grow here. Um, I, I'm obviously betting that they will be able to capture more share in emerging markets and in the core, core markets. I think yeah, in the short to medium term, I think it's it's the US market, you know, it's the biggest it's the middle class in the world. Yeah, it's 6% of their business. Um, that's what I'm going to focus on. I think the emerging markets are, are nice. Um, there's Japan and China coming up um, in terms of, you know, advanced East Asian economies. Um, there's, you know, Taiwan, Singapore, and then there's, there's Latin America. So. I think the US market is still still core um, in, in the short to medium term though. And they charge from returns, which not all their competitors do. That's what percentage of revenue comes from returns? And do you view that as sort of a sustainable uh, revenue line or do you think they'll end up having to do returns for free like some of their competitors do? Yeah, it's interesting. So they do have half a billion dollars of sort of notional sales and then about um, you know 20% of that um, gets chopped off in terms of um, when to get to a net sales number um, post returns. I think you know thirty dollars for a return and then and then higher um, if if you're returning lots of goods. Um, it's it's not you know ideal from a, a user experience, a customer experience perspective. But I do think um, it, not not to sort of sound arrogant, but the but the growth is ridiculous. Yeah. And so so clearly there is a, a value proposition for. And the it's consumer. cheaper in the first place, isn't it? You've got to take some risk on as the consumer to get the cheaper product. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Um, in, in my mind, it's something you perhaps look at fixing later if you need to improve the customer experience. Yeah. And and there are many levers you can pull as well. I mean, local uh, local sort of pricing. Um, is the other one, you know, they could they could roll out local pricing in, in local currencies um, more effectively. Um, and we'll finish up after this question, but when you look at it, where's the next re-rate come from? I think it's just based on fundamentals. So it's those two, two levers around the market realising um, the execution story. So, you know, does Dean continue to execute in the way he, he has? Um, you know, and if they end up growing at 100% again for FY24, um, July's on track. Um, what's what's EBITDA? You know, it's EBITDA fifty million, and if it's fifty million, it's on you know circa twenty times FY twenty four EBITDA. It's on you know thirty five times FY twenty three EBITDA. Um, honestly, I've seen I've seen companies even now trade on much higher multiples for the type of growth that we're seeing, and that's why we like it. So I think it'll be it's it's a case of not there's no sort of big M and A event like Lion Town. It's more um, this one's more of a called a medium term story that we're suggesting. Well, always appreciate you coming on. Always learn a lot listening to you speak. So thanks very much, Tom, for, for coming back on the show. Thanks, Chris.